0: Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Thank you, Leo. Thanks, Chris. Good morning. Good to see you all here this morning. I hope you've had a good start to the day. I'm loving the fact that spring seems to have well and truly set in now. Finally, it is the best. Uh, I'm going to pray and we're going to get stuck straight into these rather challenging uh, words from Jesus. So let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you that you are always speaking, always active and always present. That this moment, God, this day is no exception to that. That you speak to those who listen, God, and so we tune our ear to your voice right now. We open our hearts, we open our lives to you, God, and we ask that you would come and speak, that you would come and have your way in these moments that follow. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've all been there. You know the moment uh, where you're driving along and there it is. Your song (laughs) comes on the radio. And so you sing along with all the enthusiasm of an Australian Idol contestant. You sing along proudly to your favourite song as it comes on the radio. And then all of a sudden, you realise that your passenger has a very strange look on their face. They're stifling a laugh. <laughs> and they say, what did you just sing? <laughs> and so you repeat it dutifully and confidently again, uh, this lyric to this song that you know very well. And then the laugh is no longer stifled. <laughs> and they say, that's not the lyric. <laughs> that is not the lyric. And you realize that you have spent your whole life singing the wrong lyric to your favorite song. <laughs> one of my flatmate, Kate. One of my former flatmates, Kate, had this uh, situation once. There was a song in the '90s by a band called TLC uh, called Waterfalls, and the lyric was, "Don't go chasing waterfalls." And she thought it was, "Don't go, Jason Waterfalls." <laughs> Jason, look at him. <laughs> oh, I love it. It's so funny. Some other classics. Poor old Taylor Swift. Her, she had a classic recently. Uh, the lyric reader, I've forgotten what it was. Got a long list of ex lovers, the old tailor. Everyone thought it was all the lonely Starbucks lovers. That was her one. Uh, another one was, oh, Johnny Nash. I can see clearly now. Lorraine is gone. <laughs> Lorraine! <laughs> oh, this crack me up. Elton John had a classic as well, Tiny Dancer. Hold me closer, Tony (laughs) Dancer. And my personal favourite from Bob Dylan's Blowing in the Wind. The ants are my friends. (laughs) They're blowing in the wind. Oh, look at him. Poor old Bob. (laughs) Isn't it so inconvenient? Oh, Isn't it so inconvenient uh, when someone points out to you um, that the songwriter actually intended the song that you've been singing all this time to be sung differently to how you've been singing it? Oh, that moment blows your mind apart. Blows your whole world apart sometimes. The question Jesus poses to the Jews. God's people in this passage is this. What if life is supposed to be lived differently from how they've been living it all these years? What if? What if there's another way to be human, a way that is closer to the blueprint that the author of life, Jesus himself, intended for it? And what if we have dismissed it because we think it couldn't possibly be possible to live your life like that? Who would want to live their life like that? That would be crazy. And it is. It's crazy love. We're in the middle of a series at the moment called Crazy Love, as you can see, uh, looking at the kinds of lives that God calls us as his people to live, the kinds of lives that just overflow with things of value to bless those around us in our lives the kinds of crazy love that draws people, people's attention to God and shows people what he is truly like because he is a God of crazy love who goes to great extremes to show people love and to make a difference in people's lives. But what Jesus talks about in this passage is really something else. I don't know if you caught it in the reading. He says this, You've heard that it was said, Love your neighbour and hate your enemy. That's the song lyric they've got wrong. But I tell you, the blueprint, the intention, the way the songwriter designed the song love your enemies. Say what? And pray for those who persecute you. Seriously? Seriously, Jesus. Jesus is asking me, is this what you're saying, Jesus? You're asking me to love my enemies and pray for those who persecute me? To seek their good? To seek their good so much that I would ask you to bless them? Really? You're saying that if we've been holding grudges against those who take issue with us, if we've been criticising those who criticise us, if we've been looking down on them, taking pleasure in their demise, that we've been doing it all wrong? Yes, yes, that's what he's saying. Now what had happened for the Jews, Jesus' original audience here, uh, is that they had had uh, many enemies and they decided that God's call to love was only to insiders. And that in fact, his desire for them was that they would hate the outsiders. And they would only love people that loved them back. And for those who couldn't or wouldn't love them back, they were to hate them. And they'd interpreted their Bible accordingly. What they had done is that they had taken one of God's primary commands right from the beginning, right from when his people were formed, to love your neighbour. And they'd interpreted some quite complex uh, writings about um, interacting with the national enemies of Israel. And they decided that God's call uh, was to love your neighbour and hate your enemy, hate the outsiders. Now outsiders, enemies, were generally at the time considered to be the Gentiles. Anyone who wasn't a Jew was considered to be a Gentile. They were the outsiders, they were the enemies. But enemies also included the pagan nations who had overtaken their, run, their land and subjected them to harsh taxes and even opposing movements from within Judaism itself, And what happens here in this passage, in this challenging reading, is that Jesus steps in and he says, no, enough. You're singing the words wrong. That is not how I designed this song to be sung. This is not how I designed humanity to be. This is not how I designed your lives to be lived. There is another way to be human, a new way to be human. Let me show you those who have ears to hear. And he's saying here, effectively, I did not design my people to be a holy huddle. The whole point, the whole reason I created a people for myself was that you might be a light to the outsiders. You might be a light to the world. That you might carry my love to a broken and a hurting world, to those who need it, not just keep it to yourselves. That's the whole reason I created a people. You are missing the point. That was to the original audience. And so what about for us today? Do we as Christians have enemies? We're so nice. <laughs> Do we, as Christians, have enemies? I think as we consider this question, it's really important that we recognise that Christianity is no longer at the centre of our society. We are a marginal people, a marginal faith. Christianity is not a popular and a popular faith worldview. Um, Way of living your life. Popular is not a popular belief system. There are many people. You don't have to look far to see people, find people, meet people uh, who criticize Christians and Christianity, look down on Christians, think that you're stupid if you believe in Jesus. Uh, it's, you don't have to look far uh, to see people who are, who don't take who. The Christianity is not popular, and you don't have to look far to find people uh, who would hold that sentiment. Uh, there's probably one modern equivalent for us of what it looks like to have um, enemies, if you like, people who don't look on Christianity fondly uh, in a modern setting. But there's also, there's also personal enemies. You don't, probably don't need to think far to think of people who've criticised you personally, who take issue with you personally. Maybe even in the workplace, if you've make, made a decision in line with your faith, who've taken issue with your faith, taken issue with a decision that you have made, looked down on you, uh, spoken out against you. Whatever it might be, uh, there are many parts, many, many parts of our lives in which we find ourselves with enemies. It's not really a word that we use all that often these days, but that's the kind of picture. That's what Jesus is intending when he's using uh, this word. And I believe that Jesus is making the same call to us today, seeing as, yes, we do still have enemies of sorts. Today, I believe that he is making the same call to us today that he made to his people 2,000 years ago. The reason for that is that the call he makes flows out of who he is and he hasn't changed and it flows out of the relationship that we have with him. It flows out of who we are in him. He says this, verse, uh, leading into verse 45, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven. That's who we are. Now being a child of God comes with the responsibility to bear the family resemblance. I don't know if you realize that, but that's part of the deal when you become God's child. You know how, you, have you ever had somebody tell you you look like your mum or you look like your dad? It's the family resemblance. That's, that's the idea that people look at us, that they look in on Northside Crows Nest and they say, oh, that's what God looks like. That we bear our Father's image, that we bear His resemblance. That's His call to us, that's what it means to be a child of God. There's an intrinsic obligation in being a Christian to live like our Father lives, to live like a child of God. And it's as if he's saying, I made you my child in order to reflect me and to reflect my love to the world around you. And the last time I checked, God's love was for everybody, not just for the insiders, not just for the select few. And so just as 2,000 years ago God wanted all people to experience his love, The uh, the same is true today. Why is that? Well, it's because the nature of his love is the same. Have a look at verse 46, 45. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. is that amazing? That that's what our God is like. It shows us that God's love is indiscriminate. He shows it to friends and enemies. It is overflowing These will come up on the screen. It desires good for others. It is unrestricted. It knows no boundaries, certainly not the human ones that we construct according to who we think is worthy. It's unshifting. It's constant. It costs him. It springs from his nature rather than from the worthiness of the recipient. And it shows no partiality. This is crazy love. (laughs) This is crazy love. This is who our God is. It's the kind of love that when we show it, it draws people's attention to God because it's so crazy. Where does a love like that come from? It's the only kind of love that accurately represents him because it's the kind of love that he is, that he demonstrates. There's nothing crazy as verses 46 and 47 point out about loving those who love you back. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. As God's children, we are called to crazy love. Crazy in the way that we love and serve others indiscriminately. Now, this is tricky to apply as a lot of Jesus' words are. Uh, In Connect Group this week, uh, we were discussing, as we always do, discussing uh, Sam's sermon from last Sunday, discussing the passage of Scripture and, and, and Sam's sermon around it. And we stumbled upon quite a confronting idea that we threw around and discussed what that might mean for our lives. And we're challenged by this thought in particular. If God's love is so generous, and to build on that today, if it's indiscriminate, if it's unrestricted, if it knows no boundaries, then why is it that there are so many people in the world who don't experience it? Why is it that there is still so much need? Why is it that there are so many people's lives that are untouched by that love? Why is it that there are so many parts of my love, of my heart that are untouched by that love? Now that's a complex question uh, to which I think there are lots of different answers and that's nuanced. There are lots of different things that come into play with that. But one thought that we had and, and that challenged us and has stuck with me throughout this week is this. What if it's because God has chosen to reach people with his love through his church? And what if we have decided for ourselves who is worthy of receiving that love and passed it on to some but not others? Could that be possible? Pulls your heart out, but could could that be possible? That God's love is indiscriminate, it knows no boundaries, but we have put boundaries on it, on how willing we are to share it on who we consider worthy of sharing it. We take our cue based on our own judgments or on somebody else's actions for who and how we'll share love with instead of simply being indiscriminate like our father. It's challenging, hey? Could that be possible? We need to get this, that we are not judge. Every time we climb up into a judgment seat and make a judgment about who we deem worthy of experiencing the love of God that we have within us, somebody misses out. Somebody whom God gave himself to love misses out on experiencing what we hold in our hands and could extend to them. Because we've climbed up into the judgment seat and made a call about who we're going to show love to. Now this is complex, there's more to it than that. But as an isolated thought, I think there's some truth to that. I think there's a challenge from Jesus to us as a community in that. I find this so hard to apply. I find this so hard to move forward in, primarily because of the posture of my own heart. If somebody offends me, the first thing that I want to do is get back at them. <laughs> the first thing. That's the automatic reflex of my heart. I don't know about you. If somebody criticizes me, my heart way too quickly finds their faults. If somebody hurts me, my instinct is to withdraw relationship from that person, instead of continuing to move forward in love and find the appropriate way of loving that person. It's really, really hard. I think one of the big questions, I don't know if this is in your mind already, one of the big questions for us, I think, is this. If I love my enemies, if I love the ones who criticize me, who look down on me, who hurt me, isn't that excusing it? Isn't that validating it? Isn't that letting them off the hook? Isn't that saying that it's okay? I think the encouragement for us in that from God is that we don't need to worry about having vengeance that's God's. We can trust that to him that he is, a good, he is good and just and that one day he will, he will sort it all out. He's got the right view to have the right judgment and we can leave vengeance to our God. Our job is to bear our father's resemblance and love indiscriminately. Now it's complex too, isn't it? Because there are unsafe people in our world. And so love looks different depending on who you're loving. The call is the same. The outworking is very different. Is enabling bad behaviour loving? No. And yet there's a call to love. And so it's in community. It has to be in community that we wrestle this out of how do I love somebody? If there's an unsafe person in my life, how do I love that person while remaining safe myself? while preserving love and well-being for other people as well? How do I, how do I persist in the call to love somebody um, while discerning how that looks in its outworking? We have to do that in community. That's why I'm so glad I'm in this connect group. Because there's a forum for me to throw these ideas around to thrash this stuff out to talk about it. It's really, really hard. All of that aside important to work through but as we land this sermon for one thing to for us to focus on practically I think the question has to be at the at the at the root of it how the heck do we get our hearts to want to seek the good of somebody who is our enemy that's where it's got to start and then all of the rest of that we work out in community but how the heck do I get my heart to want to seek somebody's good who's hurt me How can we see this family resemblance grow, grow in us so that when we are criticised, when we're challenged, our default response is love. Love is what overflows automatically from us when we're hurt, when we're criticised. Firstly, I think it's realising that love like this, this crazy love of God, it's, an act, it's acts of the will uh, for the benefit and well-being of others, even those you may dislike. You're not going to like your enemies. It's not going to be a feeling. But we are called to love all people in the appropriate ways. As an act of the will. I think that, firstly, is important to realise. Secondly, it's the recognition that that um, there is a great power... <laughs> that is available to you to enable you to do this. A great resource from beyond yourself that comes into yourself to transform your heart in order to be able to do this. That's the God, the love of God for you. What struck me as I was preparing this message is that this type of experience of God's love is, is a recognition that that his love first reached me when i was what when i was his enemy that god the kind of crazy love he extends he extends it to enemies and that includes me that includes all of us that at one point in time we were we were unwilling and unable to love god that we each rebelled against god and yet he still moved towards us in love with constancy with grace Nothing to do with our worthiness, nothing to do with our merit. Overflowing from who he is. Because he is a God who loves indiscriminately. When you are able to sit with that truth and experience that for yourself, what do you think that does for your heart? To see that all of us have been enemies of God and he has loved us all the same. What then happens when someone comes along and criticizes me? And they become my enemy. I think my prayer is that bit by bit, and I believe that bit by bit, my heart is changed within me so that I start to see them not as less than me, not as unworthy and undeserving of love, but I recognise that we are all the same. We've all fallen short of of, uh, the glory of God. And it enables my heart to want to seek their good because I realise just how unworthy and undeserving of love I am. That God would love a sinner like me and make me into his child. You know, on the cross, when Jesus died in my place, died in your place, what he did is he spoke a blanket statement of love over humanity, a blanket statement for me, for you, for each of our enemies. And it's not for us to choose who would receive that, who would experience that. We've experienced it just the same as they might. We are no more worthy or deserving than they are. They're no less deserving than we are. Can you sense how that truth might transform our hearts, shift our minds and move our wills to be able to choose to choose love even when we don't feel like it? And so the conclusion from Jesus in all of this, his call to us, it's just as challenging as the rest of it. Be perfect. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> be perfect, therefore, no pressure, yeah. <laughs> be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That does feel like a big call. But do you know what? There isn't pressure in that. Because He is the one who does the work in our heart. That's such a relief. If someone tell you, be perfect. But he is the one who does it in us. He is the one who fills us with an experience of his love so that crazy love might overflow through our lives. Now, it's important to understand in this that perfect here is not talking about sinlessness. It's not talking about moral impeccability. It's not talking about being a perfect, upstanding citizen. It's talking about uh, perfect as in wholly and completely and fully expressing and demonstrating and representing and bearing the character and image of our Father. That all of us as Northsiders together might perfectly represent to our community what God looks like so that people, when they look in, ah, Northside, that's what God looks like. It would be a perfect picture, not a fractured picture because we're not holding back God's love from people we deem unworthy even though he's shown the same love to all of us. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. It's a goal for our life. It means that every word and thought and deed that we have individually and together as a community is shaped by this goal to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, to love others indiscriminately. We're going to need God's help in this. Wouldn't you agree? So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that he fills us with his spirit, that he brings us together into deeper and deeper relationship with one another so that we can work this complex stuff out. It's fairly clear black and white teaching from Jesus but we have, to, we have other ones who have to apply that to complex situations in our day-to-day lives and he's there to help us with it. So let's pray, let's ask for his help and, um, and seek him together. Father, I thank you that you're here with us. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come now and fill each one of us afresh. We're going to need your help for this. This is really, really hard to hear. We don't know how we're going to apply this in our lives. Thanks for teaching us recently about what it means to follow you. Give us the courage, God. Give us the faith to take one step in front of another, God. Jesus, to follow you. We want to say this morning that we trust you. We believe that your words are good. And so we choose, Jesus, to take your hand and to take one step following you, knowing that you always lead us into into our good, ultimately. And so we take up this call, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Choosing to show indiscriminate love to all those around us. Give us grace, God. Help us to offer forgiveness easily. Loosen up our grip on the things we hold too tight to, God, like bitterness, resentment. Most of all, God, fill us with an overwhelming experience of your love for us. that while we were still your enemies, while we were still rebelling against you, you came for us, you died for us, you showed crazy love for us by hanging on that cross. And so God, transform our hearts that we might be able to be faithful children in holding out that same love to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.